Hello and welcome to Darling, You're Different, a collaborative podcast that strives to unpack and question the obstacles that may be stopping you from achieving your full potential. My name is Charlotte and I am here to ultimately help you live a healthier, happier and more successful life. So welcome back to another episode of Darling, You're Different. Today, I am absolutely pumped to introduce this guest. Not only is he my brother-in-law, but he's also achieving some epic things in life. So having studied behavior for several years now, this guest has helped dozens of animals specializing in a force-free approach to training dogs, specifically those suffering from separation anxiety. Not only does he work a full-time job whilst running this successful business, but he also volunteers his time with an animal rescue group helping foster dog behavior modification. With great pleasure, I would love to welcome the creator of the Happy Dog Project, Tom Wright. You. Hello. Good to be here. Welcome. Thanks for coming on. I'm so excited to chat to you today. I know you've been doing some extra really cool stuff. And to be honest, like I knew a little bit about it, but I don't think I know as much as I would like to. So it's going to be cool to chat to you. Yeah, for sure. So basically I'm sure a lot of my listeners are kind of like, oh yeah, Charlotte's got a brother-in-law. He's English, all that (laughs) cool stuff. But I'm sure a lot of them don't actually know really anything about you. So I would like to start with just a couple of questions so we can all kind of get to know you a bit better and be on the same page. Is that okay? Yep. Sounds good to me. Cool. So how old are you? Uh, I am 36, even though you pretend I'm nearly 40 sometimes. (laughs) You're the one that pulls the joke. (laughs) (laughs) And where are you from and where are you living now? So I am from Cheshire in England, which is south of Manchester. And I moved to Melbourne eight years ago now. No, yeah, eight years ago. Eight years I've lived here and I haven't visited home for nearly three and a half years. So I'm looking forward to having a visit in September. Yeah, that's so exciting. That'll literally come around before you know it. Yeah, for sure. It's well-deserved to say the least. So what does happiness mean to you? Hmm. I've been thinking about this since you sent the question and I always relate everything back to dogs. I'm sure you'll notice and you notice in general life, but (laughs) so when I think about happiness and think about it with dogs is they want to feel safe. They want to feel secure. And I think that's not just physical safety. It's mental safety as well. Knowing you're okay, you know, freedom from anxiety and stress and things like that, which pretty impossible in in (laughs) life. But yeah, I think, I think, but I also think happiness isn't necessarily a state you are. I think it's just, I think happiness is in moments. So I look at contentness as well. So yeah, when it comes to dogs, they're kind of freedom from stress, anxiety, punishment. They've got freedom to express natural behaviors, which Mm -hmm. I think is, and that includes social and all the dog things. And I think humans are the same. We need that kind of freedom in our lives. And that's why I'm actually really stoked to have you on because yes, a lot of what we're going to be talking about is animal-based, but really at the end of the day, it can be transformed and translated to humans as well, which is what's really, really cool. But I love what you were saying about it being like contentment. And I love asking this question because so many people have had a very similar answer Mm. to that. And that's why I love asking it because it is a state 
And that's literally what the definition of happiness is, is it's a state of feeling. So when other people describe it, it's really nice to say it's like a contentment and it's a momentary thing. It's not a longevity thing, which is what I really like. So fun question here. And I know you'll love this one. (laughs) What's your favorite food? Oh, that is a good question. <laughs> I'm pretending to be healthy at the moment, but it's it's definitely well, and I'm vegan, but it's it's a vegan burger and chips yeah. with ketchup. Ketchup. <laughs> <laughs> Controversial. Um, cool. This is a fun question. Also, what is something you've actually learned this week? That's also a really good question, isn't yeah. it? What have I learned this week? Be anything. Anything in the world. Anything in the world. Maybe you learn how to tie your shoes or something like that. <laughs> You'd hope I could do that. I actually learned today from someone that dowries are illegal in India. So really? I work with, I've got a friend at work who's Indian and yeah, he was oh. talking about it today. I didn't know that. I didn't know that either. That's your fun fact for the day. Yeah. Cool. And last but not least, what is something that's made you smile today? I think I'd say the same every day and it's a pretty cliche answer, but my two dogs. Rosie yeah. and Penny, they make me smile, they make me laugh every day. At 3.30 today, I was I work from home, so I'm often in meetings at 3.30, they decided it was not work time anymore, and so they both started <laughs> batting me with their paws, so they make me smile every day. Oh, I love that, and for those of you that don't know, Tom has two beautiful foster dogs, and let's just say one is a very conservative kind of dog whereas the other one is very highly energetic so they balance each other out quite well but they are definitely beautiful beautiful creatures that is a good description (laughs) (laughs) and we just won't tell jesse that you didn't mean they make that your main reason for that can we edit that in just say jesse is the the thing that makes jesse's the reason (laughs) (laughs) cool so my first question to you tom is i want to know your why why are you doing what you're doing? Why animal behavior? I've always, like, always been interested in just animals as a general thing, whether that's wildlife or companion animals like dogs and cats. Mm-hmm. But I'm sure a lot of people say things like this, but as life gets in the way, you kind of don't. And I work in IT, mm-hmm. and I suppose I drifted into that. And it's it's a satisfying job, and it's I work for SES, so that's definitely a kind of yeah. satisfying thing. But I always, I've always felt there's something missing and I've always had that interest in, especially dogs. I've done kind of volunteering work over the years, over the last 10, mm-hmm. 15 years. And then when we adopted Rosie, that's when I got a lot more involved in dog rescue and started volunteering for the dog rescue that I still volunteer for now. And then, you know, you learn more Rosie. So Rosie's got a lot of anxieties. She becomes very fearful and stressed around other dogs. So I had to, I suppose, go through a learning a learning process to be able to help Rosie and with that it just and it just sparked something I'd say inside me I think it just sparked that I just I'm so fascinated in animal behavior but also have a passion for helping animals um and and specifically dogs and then got more and more involved in the rescue and then and learned more so I've done a a couple of formal courses I think you mentioned at the beginning a separation Mm -hmm. anxiety course because a lot of dogs struggle with being left alone especially since covid and you know they've had humans around for two years nearly and then yeah and just a kind of general training course and helping dogs because a lot of dogs sadly a lot of dogs through 
because of many, many reasons, genetics, <laughs> bad breeding. I, went, I could go on forever, but there are a lot of dogs these days who suffer from anxieties. I love and- that so much. And everything you just said, like, or oh, I just want to touch on so many different things, but I guess for those that might be pet owners, like you mentioned separation anxiety, what potentially for people that don't know what separation anxiety is, what is it and how can people, I guess, recognize it in their own animals? Yeah, yeah, really good question. And it is quite a, I suppose, an umbrella term, separation anxiety when it comes to dogs. And look, we talk about dogs, I'd say most companion animals can get it. So cats can certainly suffer from separation anxiety, but dogs it's more prevalent in. So what is it? Yeah, it's an umbrella term to one kind of version of it can be a dog can be have a panic attack when they're left alone, like completely alone. They've got no other people around them, no other animals. And it is, it's kind of, it's a medical condition. It is actually a, a mental health condition, a panic attack. But then, you know, from that, there's a lot of others. You actually get dogs that can't be separate from one individual. They can actually, mm-hmm. be, and that's kind of hyper attachment, separation anxiety. And that's, I mean, that's really tough for everyone involved the dog and the human is it codependency like yeah yeah yeah. exactly and then but then it and then it i suppose it kind of goes down to things like separation distress and then but there's also frustration so a lot of dogs actually kind of get that fear of missing out if their people go Mm -hmm. out they're they're not actually panicking they're not suffering with a mental health condition but they're not happy because they Mm -hmm. want to be involved and they're not sure why they're left alone so yeah there's a lot to it i often work or refer at least to vet and veterinary behaviorists because it is that mental health condition. Mm. And then from there, we have to do, you know, really, really gradual exposure to being left alone. So anything you're really scared of, and that's humans, dogs, any animal, you want to be just gradually exposed. Find what you can cope with. Some dogs can cope with two seconds left alone, and that's yeah. where we start. And it's a really tough journey. And I have a lot of admiration and respect for my client because it, it's tough. It's hard work when the dog wants to be with you 24 um, seven. Mm. You know, you have to find ways to manage that and manage your own health of not being there and not being able to go out. But you know what? So many people manage it. You know, it's the yeah. first conversation I have to have with people is you have to suspend absences. So you cannot be apart from your dog whilst we're training because every time they're apart, they panic and it just starts all over again. Oh, yeah, so people, so... people are amazing though. People people do it, you know, they, they, they find ways to get family and friends. It's quite incredible what people kind of pull together to make it work for their dog. Hmm. And I love what you were saying about referring to a vet because like here we're definitely all about recognizing not only your scope, but also like knowing that if you need help, there are places to go, yeah. but also like, yeah, you can only do so much. And also like you can only teach people so much, but it's also the person's responsibility to do the actions and do the actual process to help their animal. Like, and 100%, that's yeah. it's a it, lot it, of work. It is that follow through and it's, you know, it's that what's the old adage of it takes a village. I know that normally refers to a baby, but yeah. it certainly takes a village to help dogs with, a lot of conditions and separation yeah. I would say especially you need people need a team around them and they and they need to do it you're right they need to just do it I think yeah. is the way to do it so I guess I want you to talk about so obviously we've spoken about separation anxiety so what are the steps of I guess in in a short nutshell because I know you could go <laughs> on for ages about this but actually the power of training and the power of positive reinforcement when it comes to training 
Yeah, so positive reinforcement, and you mentioned it earlier, force-free training, is it comes from evidence and i think that's always important it comes from you know actual studies and work of and using data to work out what's the right thing to do and yeah positive reinforcement and force free is all about taking the the negative aspects away the punishment the so what can often happen especially separation anxiety is something called flooding so the analogy i always use if you're scared of spiders which i think you are aren't you charlotte Pretty sure I was the one killing spiders when I was living uh, with you guys, but uh, like, yes, there is a slight fear there. A little bit of fear. So to get over that fear, I wouldn't put you in a room with 50 spiders crawling all over you, right? That's just going to make the next time you see a spider, you're going to panic even more. And that's the same for dog. You, that's called flooding. And it's the same if you leave a dog alone or if a dog's scared of dogs, you shove them together with 50 other dogs it's actually going to make it worse and it's yeah. it's it's actually productive i suppose is the word for it and that's where that force free comes force free philosophy comes from which is working out what's actually right for the dog's mental health what's yeah. right for it what what's going to cause least stress and anxiety but still get the progression of yeah. the of helping them so how would people i guess recognize when their dog is experiencing that anxiety? Like what are common signs really if they genuinely don't know? Like are there behaviours that the dogs exhibit or like, yeah. Anything? Yeah, it, look, it's a really complex question, but I suppose often behaviours that we as people see as problematic behaviours mm. can often be the sign of anxieties or stress, whether that's, you know, constant barking, digging, urinating, defecating on the floor, things like that, especially if it only happens in certain scenarios. So you've got a dog that's toilet trained, doesn't really bark. And then when you leave, all those things happen. Yeah, That's likely to be a sign of, of stress, anxiety or stress itself. Um, but it's really hard because again, digging, dogs naturally do that. And that's not necessarily a um, yeah. a behavior of stress but we see it as problematic we see that as a as a bad behavior and that's where it comes back to what we were talking before talking about yeah. before the freedom to express natural behaviors and we need to work out is this a natural behavior because it's just not a need a need isn't being met or are these behaviors coming from a place of panic and stress and i suppose that yeah. and i know i'm not answering your question directly but no 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 i love it quite that's why i think it's always important to go i suppose a force free training in when it comes to dogs to assess that. That's really just like, I guess, not only knowing your own animal, but working with its strengths and kind of figuring out what works best. Yeah. The best result. Yes. But, you know, that's a really good point because animals are all individuals. You know, we look at breeds, we look at Kelpies and say, you know, they're going to do this. Labrador's going to do this, but it's not all, all animals are individual. And we take a little bit from genetics, but yeah, we need to look. And as you say, people know their own dogs. And that's one thing I'd always say, if, something suddenly changes so your dog's okay with things and then all of a sudden they're not always go to a vet get a medical checkup because dogs are so good at hiding pain and illness Mm -hmm. that's always the thing to do i love that and that's actually a great segue to what i wanted to talk to you next is it's a bit of a loaded one and it probably has a few subheadings in it but basically there's that whole saying about like animals a reflection of their owners but also actually maybe let's touch on that first and then we'll delve into the next couple of ones because yeah what's your opinion on that animals are always a reflection of their owners i think if we add to it and say animal behavior is often a reflection of owner behavior 
I wouldn't say animals reflect in a copying kind of sense. So if you've got someone and a dog owner that maybe punishes their dog a lot, that's going to change that dog's behavior. They're probably going to start avoiding them or show stress signals or something called frozen watchfulness. So if a dog is punished too much and they actually look like they're adoring their owner because they're always watching, they're always looking at them, oh, where is it? And that people kind of mistake that for love, but actually they're keeping an eye on them because they're like, when's the next punishment going to happen? So do animals reflect their owners? I don't think so. No, I like that. So obviously we're all about force, anti-violence, all that good stuff. Yes, I like that. Maybe, that. maybe that's what we should call it, anti-violence. Anti- maybe people will listen a bit more. Stop smacking <laughs> your animals. But do you know, I guess, any, I guess maybe scientific or like science, like why potentially punishing and having that like physical contact on your pet is not an ideal like I guess between you and I we both know it but yeah, yeah. people listening they might it might just be a natural response because generally that's what a lot of us have kind of grown up with I, I guess so yeah yeah that's very true and it, and it can especially when it comes I mean we always have to take into account humans emotions as well because you dog's yeah. barking you're going to get frustrated and that's where punishment can happen but yeah mm-hmm. when it coming back to the science yeah look there's and I, I can't quote them off the top of my head but there's a lot of a lot of bodies of work and research on the bond, the animal-human bond. And I think that's often what can be broken when punishment or aversive techniques are used. But one thing I think is really important to not shy away from is that punishment and aversive techniques, they work. They actually do change behaviors or behave, or they or potentially stop behaviors or reduce behavior. Your dog might bark clash, your dog might dig glass and things like that. But I suppose we're looking at the underlying emotions behind that because what punishment is doing is suppressing a behavior. So yes, it is stopping the behavior, but what force-free and when I say, you know, that's what these science-based techniques do is they actually target the underlying cause and the reason. So before we spoke about the, when you're leaving, when you leave the house, your dog might bark. I don't know if you've heard of this, but some people will put bark collars on their dogs, right? Yes. Yeah. And every time the dog barks they get a shock okay and then might carry on for a bit and look it doesn't often work but it might work so every time the dog barks it gets shocked it doesn't bark anymore people Mm -hmm. think problem solved right but if you think about it the dog was if we look at that underlying emotion the dog was barking because it was having a panic attack it was stressed or it's frustrated whatever it might be not all they're all pretty negative emotions that we don't want to feel so we don't want our dogs to feel that emotion is still there. So that's where the force-free philosophy, I think, is the only way to go because it targets the emotions. We now know that dogs, cats, and all animals are sentient beings that have feelings, emotions, fears, frustrations, all that kind of thing. So we now we know things like that, we should be working with it. and We shouldn't be just suppressing behaviors. I think we know too much. I think there's too much information out there for that to be excused anymore. I like that. And something that came to my mind, I guess, is a metaphor in a way. It's almost like you've got a tummy pain, so you take a Panadol, but just because you've taken the Panadol and the symptoms are gone doesn't mean the actual problem's gone. Exactly. Did you actually need to look at your diet and things like that? You're actually eating something that you're intolerant to or whatever it might be. Is there Uh, something else actually going on? It's masking it. Yeah, Yeah, for sure. And I really liked, obviously, you touched on like frustration and Like it's like anything new and kind of like if you've got, I guess, kids, pets, 
just a normal bloody human experience, but like we're going to feel frustrated and almost angry at times. But one thing that I've come across a lot lately and it's really resonated is we might not have a control over the situation, but the only thing we can control is how we actually respond to it. Yeah. So I like to think that potentially if your first response is an anger response or a physical response, maybe there's something internally that you need to look at and address because that, yes, it can be a human response, but generally it's not a very positive one and healthy one. So, yeah. Yeah, they Well, again, as I said at the beginning, I always bring everything back to dogs, but what you've just said is the same dogs is that it's not, let's say a dog that shows aggression towards other dogs. It's not a healthy response. Look at the underlying cause. So is it what you're just saying is a human that, response with frustration or anger look at the underlying cause and it's the same do with behavior modification with dogs yeah. um, not that we're all not i'm not saying we're dogs but pretty similar <laughs> some people like you can classify as like i don't know were you there that time i think it was my birthday and we were sitting in a circle with the family and going around which type of dog each one of us would be no, we i don't i don't remember but i'm not surprised <laughs> It's what like you? What, what you think is normal, but maybe other people do it. I don't know. I was, oh, what was I? I thought I was a corgi. I feel like I definitely give corgi energy, but I can't corgi remember what energy. the family thought I was. Oh, they got to pick as well. <laughs> yeah, it was a whole like all in kind of situation. But anyway, <laughs> so going on what you were saying about like, I guess dog breeds and what you were touching on about their behavior. So what I guess I want to ask you and talk about is there's generally, I guess, some stigma related around certain breeds, especially, you know, your pit bulls and your staffies and they're almost seen as an aggressive, vicious dog. Like what do you say about that? Is it true? Is it? Yeah. I've been through a whole journey myself with breeds and genetics. So you know, before I kind of was involved in dogs much, I definitely had the mindset, you know, certain breeds do certain things, you know, collies herd and that like, et cetera, et cetera. That's all I do. Then I went to the other extreme, which was when I started learning about training and things that, and then I was like, well, you can teach all dogs to do everything. All animals can learn the same with positive reinforcement and things like that. Which is also, to the, so both of those kind of viewpoints are probably extreme. So it kind of comes back to that middle genetics matter and yeah. and also environment matters, learning matters, yeah. things like that. But yeah, coming back to your question about staffies and pit bulls, it's a very controversial and heated topic. I think there's a lot of misinformation out there about the breeds, but we do have to look at their history, yeah. especially kind of the pit bull kind of breeds, which are were bred for fighting but i think something that's probably missed is they were a lot of these dogs were bred for fighting animals or other dogs and i've actually read a really interesting book about it recently is the dogs that actually showed any human aggression were culled they were killed the reason being if you want to dog you know if you're doing dog fighting you can't have them attacking the crowd or the handler and things like that so human aggression was almost bred out of these dogs years ago i think there's a couple, there's so many points to think about because they are powerful animals. They are strong dogs. Yeah. So I think there needs to be a consideration of good, good guardianship of these dogs and management of them. But, but that goes for 
that's all big breeds, no matter what kind of breed. It's certainly not staffies and and pit bull, mm. bulls and things like that. But I think there's going back to that anxiety thing. This is where we're going a little bit away from breeds and genetics these days. Go for it, yeah. Because they're not kind of following those breeds temperament expectations and things because anxiety is coming into there and you don't follow natural behavior patterns once you've got anxiety and stress in your lives yeah so and i think that we're seeing more and more staffies actually experience separation anxiety for example because of mm. bad breeding and that's not something they were bred for or not bred for it's just happening because of poor genetics and poor backyard breeding and that's happening with a lot of breeds unfortunately do i believe in breed specific legislation which means which is when they're banned in certain parts i think there's again going back to studies and science there's a lot that shows that it doesn't actually make kind of any difference i think we just need to target poor backyard breeding and puppy farms and things that like that a lot more so we don't have these genetic messes that are very unhappy animals and then aggression is shown. Again, yeah. I haven't answered your question directly, but it's, no, it's, it's fine, such, such a complex topic. Just, I'd say, I suppose anyone looking into it and thinking about it, just really read into it and don't buy into misinformation because there's so much, there's so many headlines of staffy equals bad or oh, staffy yeah. equals human aggressive and stuff like that. Those things just aren't true. And it, it's a lot more complex. And unfortunately the media plays a part in that because it sells 100%. that people, people love to read things like that, unfortunately. And it, it kind of links in with, well, it is literally stereotypes and bias on absolutely everything and anything in the world. Like It's like yeah. any species, like, any culture, like there's all these negative biases around them, but just because it's there doesn't mean it's applicable to every single Exactly. Thing. Yeah, exactly. And we're, we do that a lot as humans, don't we? Yeah. And it's a very easy kind of path to follow. And I guess that's what I'm really loving about chatting to everyone is trying to break that societal norm of what's expected and open up people's minds and kind of say that there's a different way to do things and that's all right as well. I agree. Yeah. Absolutely agree. It's, it's, it's a bit of an uphill battle at times. Yeah. Uh, but I think things are progressing. So you've worked a lot, I guess, with foster carers or foster care pets and things yep. like that. But obviously generally animals, in order to get to the foster system, there's they're neglected or given up like what is I guess some of the main reasons a lot of animals are given in or just neglected yeah so the top reason for euthanasia in pounds and shelters which is tens of thousands of cats and dogs are euthanized a year the main reason is behavior so it's not medical it's behavior and that's also the main reason dogs are surrendered behavior yeah. people don't like the barking people they People don't get a baby and the dog's showing too much interest in the baby and things like that. So, yeah, it's really sad. And we see dogs normally between one years old and two years old mm. are the ones that are surrendered. And that is a difficult period. That's kind of their teenage stage. And it is they lose a lot of impulse control and things like that. They go through kind of secondary fear periods. There's, there's a lot of challenges in that time. But, yeah, unfortunately, a lot of people surrender their animals to pounds and shelters at that time, which get very, very full. And we're seeing it a lot at the moment with COVID because a lot yeah. of people got dogs during COVID. And now that year, year and a half mark is now. And that's there is more... 
there is four times the amount of animals up for the adoption in Victoria today mm. as there was this time in 2020. Oh, that's so heartbreaking, isn't it? Because personally, I remember seeing a lot of people on social media getting dogs and things like that. And I like to think that they're all in loving homes, but you just, you never know, do you? So I guess going back to then training, is there a right or wrong time to start? Like I feel like in my head, I'm like, just do it. But yeah, is there a right or wrong time to start training your animal? Like, is it ever too late to start training them? Certainly not too late. You know, we, we pull dogs out of pounds that are 12, 13 year old, years old, and we start the training behavior modification and helping them. And it's, if you buy or adopt a puppy, it's never too early. But one thing I'd say is we've, it's this human obsession with getting dogs to sit and yeah. give paws and things. I'd forget all that kind of stuff if you've got a new puppy and I'd really concentrate and making them feel comfortable in the world, very gradually and positively exposing them to new things, making them feel safe, content in the world, bonding with you, kind of lots of games and play and things like that. Sit and drop and things like that can be taught at any time. But yeah, there is never a bad time to start training. One thing that came to my mind then is when you're like, hey, for example, you've got a new puppy and You want it to be good with other dogs. So I guess the natural, well, my first thought as, you know, I've learned a bit off you, but I still have a long lot to learn when it comes to animals. But like, I know personally you go to a dog park and there's all these puppies at the dog park because the owners, I guess, well, they think, or sometimes like they genuinely might think it's for the best interest of the dog, but what's your opinion on that? Yeah, it kind of, I'd be very careful of flooding, like we spoke about before, yeah. just overexposure and things like that. Puppies can get, and I imagine it's the same with human toddlers and things, can get tired very, very quickly. They can get overwhelmed very, very quickly. And another thing with, if you kind of throw in a puppy in with a lot of other dogs, is they'll start to learn that they can just go up to every dog they see, or every dog's a plaything, and then it creates this kind of arousal pattern, which means see another dog, I'm aroused, I want to play, I want to do whatever. And that, especially in the teenage years, can turn into quite a challenge in itself. So, and another thing with dog parks and places like that is, Dogs naturally play in twos, threes, fours, fives. And, you know, you can see dog parks and there's like 15 dogs there. It's it's quite unnatural for them in that sense when they're, especially when they're surrounded by strangers. Think of you, if you were a small child, you don't want to be just thrown in with loads of children you don't know. I don't know. I didn't. So so I'd, I'd say just be really wary of it and concentrate on. Socialization isn't creating a social dog socialization really should be able to create a dog that is comfortable in with new stimulus and new novel things and they can just observe it take it in and be okay with it feel comfortable with it we don't overexcitement is as challenging as stress and anxiety it's really hard to work with and so as a puppy you want to really teach them that you can be around other dogs everything's pretty chilled i'm still here you can come and check in and it's not just kind of go 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 play keep it really short they can have a couple of dog friends and things like that yeah and just coffee puppuccinos (laughs) yeah that's right (laughs) and always just keep everything really positive as, as best as possible short positive is better than there's a saying in a dog training world that one negative equals 100 positives yeah so if your dog if you take your puppy to this dog park and they ha- and a larger dog jumps on them, squashes them. That's really hard to undo. That's what a really 
bad experience they've just had then and you're not yeah. really controlling it we need to be advocates for our dog and we expect these animals to live in our human world so we need to advocate for them and try and avoid these negative experiences which is yeah. i know it's very very hard but we should do our best everything's hard if you're going to look at it that way though you know like yeah and it's like that whole saying if, if you wanted to you would so you just got to put in the time. Um, I guess we kind of spoke about the opposite of when a dog feels uncomfortable and things like that, but it seems pretty self-explanatory, but it might not necessarily be, but how do you know when your dog is comfortable and okay in that situation? Like what are some common things that they might show? Yeah, that's really, so we, you really want to look at body language, which is a whole topic in itself relaxed body language again going back to natural behaviors feeling comfortable sniffing or feeling comfortable eating as well like that's that that can be a quite a good test if a dog's comfortable if they if they refuse a treat they're probably not in a good place if you're feeling really you know scared of something and someone gives you a little bit of chocolate it's probably the last thing you're gonna eat <laughs> <laughs> well maybe yeah, maybe not <laughs> yeah you need to edit so yeah it's it's looking for those natural behaviors good body language which is kind of loose wiggly relaxed yeah. body language not stiff not tense not ears back and being really careful there because body language is very contextual it's very context dependent and different dogs are different things but yes. so i suppose People are able to observe their dogs most likely happy when they're at home and just relaxing with their people. That's probably a good, what's the word, litmus test. Yeah, that's like a, that's my relaxed dog. Now I can kind of judge it in different situations. Yeah. I love that. So I guess kind of going off the actual dog topic for a moment, more talking about you. So we know that you work in IT for SES and that's full-time, I presume, I guess that, right? Yeah, yeah, full time. Should know that better. But then you've also built this business on the side. Like, how do you, I guess, manage between running a business, volunteering your time, and working full time? What's that lifestyle like for you? Yeah, it has to be well managed. And it certainly has had times where it's not been well managed. But yeah, I've, especially at the beginning of Happy Dog Project, it was obviously for me as well, it's very exciting. So I probably took too many clients on and things like that. And then that was affecting just general life. My full-time work is my full-time work. That's in my business hours. That's kind of all. So it doesn't leave much time. So I actually only consult on Monday evenings now and then just the odd one if if need be. And then that leaves me a little bit more time for volunteer work. So it, it did take probably six months to get a good balance Yeah. though. And it's, it is hard to say no when I've got, genuine people reaching out for help and they you can tell they're going to be engaged you can tell they're going to be focused Mm -hmm. and put the effort in but i i have to i suppose look after myself otherwise i won't be able to give them what they need anyway so i I think i think i've got a nice balance at the moment you should you should ask jesse that question there (laughs) (laughs) she might have a very different point of view Is it something that you would ever consider, I guess, leaving your full-time job for and making this your full-time job? It's certainly something I consider Mm. (laughs) quite a lot. I I think it's something I will definitely do to some extent at some stage. I think it needs to be the right time of life. I think it needs to... I'm also just very wary of 
it, I love it at the moment. It's really satisfying. You know, I love getting emails and messages from people with progress. Just before this, actually, I got a text mm-hmm. message from someone where they have such a problem with their two dogs that were just hassling them all the time when they were cooking, like jumping up and things like that. And what we've done is mat training. So both dogs have got a mat that they just lay on. And we start just 30 seconds, asking for 30 seconds, then you get a treat. And we've just built up and they had a message of a picture of the two dogs laying on their mats. And they said, we just managed to cook a whole meal and they just chilled there. And then they, you yeah. know, the dogs get a huge reward at the end. Yeah. So, it's, so powerful. Yeah, exactly. It's so satisfying at the moment. I suppose I'm also wary of it not being like that. Yeah. If it was full time, because obviously with a full time job becomes a lot of pressure, especially when it's when the yeah. where the money has to come from. Um, yeah. And speaking to other trainers, because I've got a nice network of four three trainers in Melbourne now, it sounds like that can happen. It sounds like burnout in the industry is fairly regular. Yeah. But yeah, definitely. It's a big job when you say that there's four times the amount of dogs in need well, than usual, exactly, and that's yeah, that's exactly right. Yeah, yeah, it's always going to be needed. So I, I do think in the future, I, I, I genuinely do. It's just, I think it has to be right. I love that. Now, Tom, where can I guess my listeners find you if they wanted to learn a little bit more about this? Yeah, so I've got a website, which is happydogproject.com.au. I have not got social media at the moment because I've got too, too many clients anyway, so I kind of don't need it, <laughs> which is a great problem to have. But yeah, yeah, the website, there's a contact form there and there's quite a few more details. I've got something called the hierarchy of dog needs on my, yes. on my website, which is... I think it comes back to what we were talking about before about how how is a dog happy? How is a dog content? And I think it's meeting all those needs, having an outlet for needs. And that's all the way from just basic needs of water, food, shelter, all the way up to cognitive needs of actually doing puzzles, do some brain work and things. So yeah, a lot more details there, but yeah, that's where my website is. I love that. And I always end my podcast on one last question and it's quite a good one. Are you ready? I'm ready. So what is one piece of advice that changed your life? Yeah, Hmm. it's a good question. (laughs) One piece of advice that changed my life. Take all the time you need. (laughs) Yeah, what if I can't think of it? Insert waiting music. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, yeah, please hold. I think, and I can't remember the exact advice is a problem because I know what I'm thinking of, which is (laughs) moving to Australia was obviously a huge thing when I was 25 and I, I, re- <laughs> I remember having a conversation with someone in the house I lived at, at the time and I can't remember exactly what they said but the advice was tantamount to kind of just do it just just kind of go for it I can't remember the exact wording they used but it, it was along those lines and I think yeah. that was that was life-changing and it, I think moving countries is a huge thing and it's but it, it also left me with obviously it worked out very well and then it left me with, well, you can just try things. You can you can yeah. just go for these things. And if you work hard at them, they'll work. I love that so much. Thank you so much for listening to this episode of Darling, You're Different. If you enjoyed this episode, please leave me a five-star rating and a written review. Also reach out to me on Instagram at Charlotte underscore McKinnon. And I would love to hear what you thought about this episode. But also, if there are any guests that you think that I should have on this show or any topics that you would like me to discuss, let me know. I want you to go out today and do something to make someone else smile. 
I am so grateful to each and every one of you. But most importantly, I want you to remember that, darling, you are different. And that is such a good thing.